All right, here we are, back on Shiva with our series on mental health and luck. My name is Jenny Rosenzweig, June 17th, 2020. And uh, we continue today with um, Alzheimer's and dementia. That's what we're going to talk about today. I think I said last time uh, anorexia, but I, I see that that wasn't my lesson plan exactly. So um, I'm going to go with what I originally planned, which was to discuss Alzheimer's and dementia. There are, of course, many things to say about this, um, many things to discuss. Um, out of all the uh, halachas, and we'll, of course, mention some of them as we go, uh, questions that I received on this point and and uh, what answers I think are are correct. Um, out of all of them, I decided to share with you a sugya that has to do with kibbutz avayim because I think that that maybe is where this uh, topic meets us most of all. Uh, the question of uh, respecting parents um, when they're suffering uh, from these uh, terrible uh, illnesses. Um, and of course, you know, we, we have, um, we have this um, uh, desire to maintain their dignity, maintain uh, uh, their respect, and 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 um, that's difficult, you know, in the face of uh, diminishing uh, brain capacity and and uh, diminishing ability to control yourself and to and to have a, a clear view of reality, and you know, we want to accommodate them, right? We don't want to not do what they're asking us. On the one hand. Um, but uh, we also want to make sure uh, that the choices that they're making or that we're making for them many times are the right choices or the proper choices to conserve their health, to uh, give them the best quality of life that's possible. Uh, those things become very, very difficult um, for many of us. I, Baruch Hashem, am not at that stage, but uh, my parents have parents who are at that stage. You know, it's, it's definitely a challenge. Um, and one which I'm sure that many of you are aware of. So today we're going to talk a little bit about those challenges. I'm going to start off with this sugya regarding kibbutz avayim, and then we'll talk also about other challenges that apply to people suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia. We'll do the best we can to cover as much as possible. And uh, of course, of course, of course, please feel free to use the chat. It may very well be that many of you uh, on this um, uh uh, in this year, listening to me right now, um, have what to add from your own experiences about uh, this topic, and uh, um, therefore, I would be more than happy to hear about your experiences, about you know what you've seen and what you uh, um, have experienced as significant and important uh, with regards to this. As usual, and like I said last time, I am far from being the only one with uh, wisdom on this topic. Far from it. And not only that, but I also, uh, you know, I, I emphasize what I emphasized last time. Uh, my wisdom is also uh, fairly limited. I am a rabbi, first and foremost. I am not a medical professional. I'm not a mental health professional. Um, and so to those of you who are and wish to um, um, expand on issues that maybe I am not able to, uh, I'd be more than happy to read your comments and share them either anonymously or otherwise uh, with the group. Okay. With all that said, let's dive straight into it. The Gemara Kiddushin, source one, uh, tells us Kibud Ma'achilu Mashkem Al Bishum Chasem Achnisu Motzi that uh, when you want to uh, respect your parents, right? So there's two things, right? There's Kibud Avayim, and there is uh, you know Ira. Okay, uh, someone asked you whether dementia is considered mental health. Uh, the answer is simply yes. You know, I think it is considered part of mental health, but uh, from what I know, 
um, meaning it's not something that is completely, you know, explainable only neurologically to the best of my of my uh, uh, knowledge. So yes, I think that dementia definitely also uh, has a mental component to it. It's not just medical, uh, you know. So yes, I believe I believe that's true. Okay, of course, once again, if uh, someone knows different, I'm more than welcome, I'm more than happy to be corrected on this issue. Um, Either way, even if it's, by the way, even if uh, it's a medical issue, not a mental issue, which, once again, I believe it's also mental, um, but even if it was, uh, then um, I think that the challenges that uh, uh, those suffering from Alzheimer's are similar to the challenges those suffering from dementia and also, once again, also the caregivers of those suffering from Alzheimer's face similar um, challenges as those caregivers, uh, you know, helping those suffering from dementia. So, um, it's definitely related. Okay. Uh, an individual um, must do for their parents the following. They should feed them and give them drink and food. They should uh, uh, clothe them. Uh, right? They should uh, cover them if they need to be covered. Machnis uh, umotzi. Uh, they they bring them in and they bring them out. What does that mean? Machnis uh, umotzi. So Rabbeinu Hananel, uh, one of the Rishonim, one of the earliest Rishonim, writes that machnis umotzi means source two. Perush machnis umotzi imhem zgenim v'tzachim yad liyishayen aleya. If they're elderly and they need a hand to lean on, so that implies that a person needs to be there for their parents in order for them to lean on them and to take care of them. So it's not just an individual act, but maybe something more significant, okay? The yad isha and alea might mean also that you should try and uh, uh, put them up, if they need a place to stay, uh, if they need somewhere that they, you know, that, if they need general care, right? So then a person should be there for their parents. This raises a very significant question uh, for children today. All right, because uh, many parents, right, at some point cannot take care of themselves. And the question is what to do for those parents, right? So I think a lot of people who are not yet at that stage, okay, uh, prefer not to be a burden onto their children. But once they're at that stage, uh, um, the question remains what is actually best for the parent. And many times I think we'll all agree that the best thing for the parent would be that they could live with a child. They could live in the child's um, and they could have special care on part of the child, um, and that would be wonderful. But we also know how difficult that is on the children um, to care for their parents in that situation. They're not always equipped to do that, um, practically, pragmatically, and also um, time-wise. Uh, children are still younger. They need, they go to work. They have their own children uh, to deal with. Uh, they, have a, they have a very full life, uh, and they cannot take a upon themselves to care for uh, an elderly parent. So while I think we all understand that putting someone in some sort of uh, institution, right, or in a hospital or whatever, some ward, you know, et cetera, where certainly there could be 24-hour care over there, uh, it's not always the best thing for the individual, especially for the individuals to live with family, to, you know, to live with people who love them, et cetera, et cetera. Once again, it's very, it's very personal. I'm not claiming that <laughs> that's always the case, yeah? But we can understand the dilemma that uh, exists over here. Can a person, right, who has a parent who is now 
unable to care for themselves. Can is a person chayav as part of kibbutz avayim obligated to bring that parent into their home, or would we say that they can put them in an institution in a place where they feel they would be cared for? Yes or no? Um, and I see that uh, people wrote here it takes also an emotional toll to care for a parent, which is true. And then I see Arya wrote that not that nursing homes are a question of sakanat nefashot, so from experience, maybe Arya, maybe you want to uh, expand on that in the in the comments. You're more than I'm not sure what you mean. Maybe you mean in terms of the other illnesses, the other problems that there are around there, uh, or maybe you meant from some some other perspective. I don't know, but I'm happy for you to write another comment to uh, briefly explain what you meant. Either way. Uh, like I said, these are certainly considerations, and they're not simple. They're not simple. As you can tell, there are two sides over here, and it's really, really not easy. Uh, I will add another point to this, okay? Actually, you know what? Before I add another point to this, uh, let me read on, okay? The Rambam here in Source 3, Chot Mamrim, um, gives us a very interesting psak. The psak, I mean, I, was, I, I can say that it's, that it's new, meaning that the Rambam made it up. But that really is the question. Did he or didn't he? Uh, so the Rambam says in Source 3 the following. If someone has um, uh, if someone has a parent, right, a father or a mother, um, who have literally means lost their mind. Of course, that's not politically correct to say. But uh, what it means is... Um, that uh, they they basically um, you know not uh, mentally stable. Mishtadelin hogimahem kefida tamachi ruchamalen. Then he mishtadelin hogimahem. That you should try to act to get, to act with them to behave with them until Hashem Baruch Hu cares for them, meaning uh, has mercy on them, and maybe they regain their composure. Maybe not. Vim if shalolamod ipneishen yistatu biotel. But if he cannot care for them because they're so far gone. Um, that uh, it's impossible anymore. Yanichem, you leave them. Ve'elechlo, and you should leave. Ve'etzaveacherim le'anigam karuelem, and ask others to care for them as is proper. So the Rambam here clearly gives a heter for someone who feels that he lacks the ability to care properly for his parents under uh, you know issues of mental health. That he can leave them, he can leave them, and he can ask others to care uh, for those parents. Now, the Rivet here, the famous commentary on the Rambam, uh, disagrees immediately. Amar Avraham, the Rivet says, "Ein anichona." This is an incorrect psak. If he goes, "Lemiet savelashomor," who's exactly asking to keep? Who's asking to, to care for the parents? This this comment of the Rivet seems weird to us on the face of it. Uh, because today, right, if I ask that question, I assume that you'd have about 50 different options, yeah? What do you mean who? You can ask someone to care for him at their house, you can uh, you can hire someone, you can put him in this place, in this hospice, in this place, whatever, you know, you can, like there's all kinds of places you can bring. Okay, so we'll talk about what the Ravid means by this, but it's clear that the Ravid disagrees with the Rambam, right? This is an incorrect psak. If he leaves, who's going to take care of the parents? But what the Rambam said? The Rambam said someone else will take care of the parents. Okay, so we have to understand what exactly is going on over here. Just to see uh, two of the comments here, I see that Rivka has written. Sometimes people can't can't keep their parents at home because they don't have the resources to take care of them, which is 100% correct. And on the flip side of that, Arya writes uh, in terms of the lack of care 
at such at such places, nursing homes. My father Zal, he writes, had the following happen. He had bed sores. One home he had bed sores. The second home he had he got infected. Um, third home gangrene, costing him a leg. Chasu shalom, terrible. Um, so yeah, hundred percent. These are these are this counts. It's very difficult. Very difficult. Very difficult. Uh, true. And Rivka says sometimes the parents don't want to live with their children because they're independent. True, hundred percent. Of course, if the if the parent is willing is able uh, to make their own decisions, that's a different story. Uh, to be clear. Um, so yes, obviously. Um, yes, uh, the answer to someone who wrote me privately, uh, the answer is yes. The rivet means that uh, that the, the son or the child, whatever, the daughter will be hired to take care of the individual. That's correct. Yes, that's obviously what means. But so obviously it's yes, correct. But the question is why the rivet is so sure that there is no one else. Meaning he says, oh, if he goes, who else will take care of him? Who else? Um, lots of people. What do you mean, who else? So it could be other people. Okay. Does the Rambam have a source for his psak? The answer is yes. The Goran Kedushin seems to offer a source for the psak. That's what many of the Achronim understood. But the Rambam source is in source for Rambam Kedushin. Kedushin Lamed Aleph. It says as follows. Rav Asi, Rav Asi had an old mother. She said, I want jewelry. Abadla. So he did it. Then she said to him, Be'ena Gavra, I want a man to marry. So Ravasi said, I'll, I'll look for someone. So then she said to him, Be'ena Gavra de Shapil Kvatach, I want a man as handsome as you, Ravasi. So that was already too much, and Ravasi understood that something was wrong. So, like, you know, he couldn't, uh, uh, you know, possibly uh, fulfill these uh, requests. So he left her, and he went to Eretz Israel. So here we see Ravasi leaving his old mother. And going to Eretz Israel. He heard that she's coming after him. He went to Rabbi Yochanan and he asked him, Can I leave Eretz Israel to go to Chosar to meet my mother who's coming towards me? Says Rabbi Yochanan, uh, sorry, he asked, he asked him in general if it's allowed to leave Eretz Israel. So Amal he said, No, of course you're not allowed to leave Israel. Likrat but what if it's for my mother? Then he said to him, Amali, I don't know. And then the story continues that at the end he said, yes, you can go. By the time he, he goes, she already passes away and whatever. That's a long story. But either way, the point is that it seems from this uh, situation, right, you could, you could interpret, right, that Rav Asi left his mother. Why? Because her requests became increasingly uh, outrageous to the extent that he felt that he couldn't care for her properly. So then you say, okay, well, is the, is the, so is, is the answer to leave her? Okay, you can have, uh, crit, you could critique, uh, you could criticize Ravasi for his decision. But either way, either way, uh, we, the Ravam might have assumed that that's generally a legitimate decision to make if you leave someone to care for her. Ravasi maybe didn't, or did, I mean, we don't know. He definitely left her behind. But nevertheless, the Gmar doesn't criticize him, so the Ramam also might have relied on this. And indeed, the Radbaz in Source 5 says that. He says um, here in Source 5, Mishin Aviv, Uvda de Rav Asi. This is the case of Rav Asi. They have a Le'ima Zkina. Yadati, I don't understand. Lama Katav why is the rabbit so against this um, this uh, psak? Kiran, the 
did something like this. How could it be that he just left her? Must be that Rav Asi must be that Rav Asi, who uh, was an important Amora, wouldn't just leave his mother. He obviously asked someone else to care for her. That's the way. See, the thing is that the mother feels comfortable around her son, so she's not ashamed of uh, making a fool of herself in front of him, and she'll she'll act out, she'll scream, she'll do this, she'll do that. So therefore, he has no control over her. Sometimes other people can have more control over the parent than the child. He can't shout at her, other people can. And maybe even sometimes uh, hitting her, you know, will help her uh, to uh, uh, regain composure. And so too we do every, we see things like this every single day. The child can't do any of this. What, what's, what's saying the Radvaz? I'm sure that people here uh, are not, wouldn't be happy to, that their parents would be uh, beaten, obviously. Uh, not, not, I'm, not, I'm not supportive. But the, the point that the Radvaz is, make, is making here is that the issue is that sometimes the situation is so far gone, certain actions need to be taken that are not covered for the son or the daughter to do. It's not right for the son or the daughter to treat their parents with a lack of respect. And it's something that they should avoid. And let's say that Tzitzeliezer, one of the poskim uh, who died a few years back, uh, once wrote a tshuva about, they asked him whether in a certain psychiatric uh, place they could tie someone down, right? So, you know, and whether the son, you know, if he was having his parent, whether he can tie his parent down in a certain situation. So obviously if the parent is going to hurt themselves, and that's what needs to be done, that's what needs to be done, but it's also in the same time obvious that that's not a good situation. We don't want to be in that situation where the son is doing it. Once again, if it needs to be done, it needs to be done, and that's, once again, of course, unfortunate, but if it needs to, fine, but better that a child not do it. Better that someone who is working over there uh, or someone who is caring for the parent is doing it and not a child. So that's the word Baz's point. That's the Rambam's point, uh, according to the word Baz. That the reason that, right, you might say, if someone else can do it, the child can do it too. What's the, what's the distinction? And the answer is, sometimes there are things that the child cannot do, and that other people can, or that it's better that other people can do it, or that other people do do it. It's best that way. And in that situation, the son, for the sake of the parent, should let others do it. Okay, that's basically the point that the Radbaz here um, is making. Um, okay, I see uh, uh, Rivka's comment, Adult Protective Services, okay. Um, anyway, the question is, um, what the halacha is on this? So let's see, the Shulchan Aruch, source 6, quotes the Rambam, not the Ravid. Someone whose parents have uh, unfortunately uh, lost it, um, he has to be with them, you know, and uh, and uh, care for them to the best of his ability. If he cannot do it, because they're too far gone, he should leave them. Ask others 
to uh, care for them properly. So the psak of the Shulchan Aruch, source 6, is indeed, for, uh, in accordance with the Rambam, to allow others to care if that is the best way um, that uh, the person can be cared for. Okay? So, so let's be clear what the Shulchan Aruch is passing before we see the descending opinions. To be clear, the Shulchan Aruch is saying that if possible, a child should care for their parents. Okay? And all of us uh, children should keep that in mind. All right? You cannot simply, just because there are so many Baruch Hashem, so many good places and programs out there, or sometimes less good places and programs, just because there are many options, that doesn't uh, obviate our uh, obligation towards our parents. A parent who is suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's needs to be cared for by the child first, first and foremost. That is the obligation of the child. I don't want you to feel like the Rambam or the Shlucharach are somehow stripping that away from the child and telling him, oh, you don't have to worry about it. It's not on you. Of course it's on you. It's on the child first and foremost. And if the child can, then he does his best to care for the parent. However, sometimes the child realizes that it is way beyond his, uh, so to speak, uh, uh, pay grade. Okay? Um, way beyond. Okay? So therefore, uh, once again, it could be, other, I see that uh, Josh has written here, uh, I assume, I mean, there's a typo, but I assume who can give care to the children. I assume that, that uh, the question is that uh, the children, either the ones taking care of the parents, meaning their well mental well-being, or their children even, right? Things that they have to do at home. So once again, of course, of course, each family must consider what they are actually capable of doing and what they're not capable of doing. I, uh, there's not one answer here. Okay, the chiyuv of kibbutz avayim, the obligation to respect your parents, is all encompassing for every single one of us. We can't uh, simply uh, claim that it's not on us to do. Of course, it's on us to do, but there's a limit. There's a limit to our obligation. The limit is that uh, doesn't have to come at the expense of our own mental well-being. That is correct, and it doesn't have to come at the exp at the significant expense of let's say we don't have to quit our jobs and not make any money or 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 uh, or neglect our own children as a result. I mean, we have to, we have to be careful. Many times, the people can balance it to some extent. Many times, there are several children that can share the burden together um, with an elderly parent. So it really, really depends. Right? If so, I think that you can all understand that it's a huge difference if someone is a single child. Or if someone is part of one of three or four or five, I mean, these are huge differences and will make a difference in terms of what can be done and what cannot be done uh, for the good of the parent. All I'm saying is that the chiyuv, the obligation to respect your parents, of course exists, according to the Rambam, according to Shulchan Aruch. But there comes a time when a person says, um, you know, you cannot, you know, you cannot um, uh, do it. It's not for you. It's not, the, your ability is, is limited. And the best thing for the parent is to leave them with someone else. Uh, who will care for them. And I see that Rivka has written here something similar. It's a very hard and painful, she writes, to take care of a parent who has dementia or Alzheimer's. Sounds like she's writing from uh, experience. Difficult to balance life with caring for the parent. Um, uh, like I said, I, I have no experience in this topic, so um, I'm sure, I can imagine, I can only imagine, I, you know, I, can, I do not know, but nevertheless, 100%. Like I said, it is very personal and... and uh, and uh, you have to see what's what's right, what's right for each person. Um, so, okay. 
So that is the position of the Shulchan It should be clear, it should be stated clearly, rather, that uh, not everyone agrees with the Shulchan Aruch on this point. The Ravid's opinion, though the Shulchan Aruch disagrees with it, um, is um, is uh, not universally agreed by the opponents. So I'm skipping here source 7, for example. I'll go straight to, let's say, uh, source 8. Yeah, source 8 is fine. Um, and the Bach, for example, Rabbi Old Circus, he says, sorry, one second, let me take the arrow and show you. Vaniomel, I say, that haraivid he, that the opinion of the raivid is, dehahi imalonitrefadata Why doesn't the raivid care about the source from Kiddushin that the Rabbim cares about? Says on this, uh, the Bach, what do you mean? The the rabbit feels that that source is talking about an elderly mother, not a not a not someone who's lost her her uh, mental capacity. It doesn't say that she lost her mental capacity. Since Rabasi felt that her needs were beyond his ability, he went. He felt bad that he can't be mekayim. He cannot uh, 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 fulfill the requests of his. Old not because that she wasn't mentally, you know, capable, but because he just felt like he can't mekayim whatever she's asking of him. So that's not a proof for anything. Someone who lost their mental capacity to the extent that they need to be uh, watched, right, and helped. So why would you leave that person as a child? Um, Arya writes, uh, were the demands a symptom or the a symptom or the problem? It seems like the demands were the problem, according to this interpretation of the right. Okay? Um, all right. So, the kivan, they know, metzuve, lekayem, tzivuim, they know, yare meonesh, beovrol tzivuim, share en laem dat. Basically, what does the Bach say? He says, I don't understand what, why, why people are so uh, weirded out by the rabbit. Rabbit says, you can't leave the parent. Why not? Simple. If the parent really has uh, uh, deteriorated to the extent that they have no uh, control over their actions, then they have the status of a shote. If they have the status of a shote, then none of what they say is something that you have to keep. If your parent asks you to do things, uh, and they're in the status of shtut, you as a child do not have to keep what they say. You have no obligation as a child to be mekayim, kibbut avayim, in terms of the things that they're asking you to do. All that's left for you is to care for them, feed them, give them what to eat, to drink, to keep them safe. That's what you have to do. So that's all. So then Rav Asi, or people like him, shouldn't worry, oh, but what if my parent asks you this? You don't have to do anything they ask you. What you have to do is care for them. So therefore, how can you leave at that point? He says the also agrees. Unlike what the Shochan Aruch says, to be mekel like the Rambam. So you see here that some of the Achronim, I skipped one of them, the Drisha, here, here with the Bach together, there's also the Taz in Source 9, <coughs> who also says similar things. Um, they all disagree with the Shulchan Aruch and says, what do you mean? The child should care for the parent. He, uh, there's no reason why he should leave the parent. 
doesn't have to worry about the parent asking him to do weird things, impossible things. You don't have to listen to a parent in that situation. What you do need to do is make sure that they're well, to the best of your ability to make sure that they're well. I'll just mention one last thing, which is about this topic, which is that the Aruch HaShulchan, source 10, um, you know, disagrees. And he supports the Shulchan Aruch, supports the Rambam, and believes that there certainly are facilities and the kind of care that other people can give that the son, once again, is not able to give sometimes because of Kibbutz Avaim, and it's just not right uh, in that situation. So that's source 10 uh, in the Aruch HaShulchan, who supports the Shulchan Aruch. Uh, in my opinion... Um, not that the Shulchan Aruch needs my endorsement, but I think, you know, if there was certainly room to disagree with the Shulchan Aruch in the old days, today, I think it's hard to disagree with the Shulchan Aruch, um, in the sense that uh, we're not just talking about uh, care that the child is able to give to an elderly parent. Sometimes, once again, I, I, I continue to emphasize, sometimes, it depends on the situation and the person and the family. But sometimes the kind of care that a parent can get in a certain institution or, or uh, you know, place um, are, are, are much better, okay, are significantly elevated to that that the child can give. It really depends, okay? Also remember, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about, about anyone specifically on, in, this, in listening to this year, but there are some children who are just ill-equipped mentally, emotionally uh, to do so. So there's no doubt that any care that they gave would be a disaster, you know, to the parent. Uh, it could be that they, they and the parent don't, don't, don't even get along usually. Like, you know, when, even when things were good, they didn't get along. So, you know, how much uh, more so sometimes in these situations. Uh, it's very, very difficult uh, to, to judge these things in advance. What you really need to do is, of course, assess and evaluate. Each child should be perfectly and completely aware of their obligation of their, of their base obligation towards parents, and from there on to see what's really best for the parent, what's really best for everybody, and how they can, they can work it out. But uh, the obligation definitely exists, and also the heter, the leniency to uh, put your parent in an institution that might take care of the matter is also there. The Rambam clearly states it, and the Shulchan Aruch clearly poskins it. Okay? Someone wrote to me privately, um, can you address issues of late-stage Alzheimer's and praying for refuah shlema, which in today's medical knowledge cannot obtain? Can one pray for refuah? This is not an uncommon clinical mental health issue as well as a halakhic issue. Okay. So I think I understood what this person is asking. Okay? And, there is there, and I'll explain. There are two kinds of uh, 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 prayer, right? You can pray for refuah, okay? Uh, meaning you can pray that someone gets better. And uh, sometimes we pray for the opposite. Yeah. So uh, sometimes we pray uh, for the person not to get better. In other words, for the person to pass away. So I think that that's uh, what this question is. Oh, now I see that the person actually wrote that. Yes, 100%. So, so yes, uh, there is a story like that. Okay. There's a story like that. I think about it. So it's called Amte de Rebbe, the Shifcha, the, the, the maidservant of Rebbe, who when he was on his deathbed, uh, she prayed for him to pass away, okay? And Chachamim were unhappy with her, but then at the end of the story, basically, it comes out that she was right, you know, to do such a thing. And I think that the Ran, I think it's the Ran, one of the Rishonim, uh, who states that this is a, an acceptable practice, um, that one can uh, daven for uh, those 
who, you know, their death is probably at this point better for them than life. Uh, it's important, of course, to evaluate that properly, okay? Uh, not every case and not every situation, you know, not any time someone starts to deteriorate will we say, oh, your your death is better than your, it's better for you to be dead. We know that if you had your mind, your wits about you, you know, that you would, that you would, you know, that you would choose death. It's not so clear. It's not so simple. We're very, very careful with the sanctity of life, as I'm sure you all know. Um, and therefore, it's like a whole other topic, of course, you know, let's say disconnecting someone from a, from a, a you know, machine, all this stuff. Um, but yes, 100%. Uh, the, to, so the answer to the question that I was asked is yes. There is definitely room to daven for someone's passing, that they should pass away. If the feeling is that at this point, due to the pain that they're that they're feeling, uh, due to whatever it is that you think they're going through, that is that is just not dignified for them and not right for them, and you know, so that they would prefer. So yes, davening for someone's death in that situation is acceptable. It's acceptable and should not be seen as a negative practice. Uh, that is not Jewish in origin or something along those lines. There, is, there are sources uh, for this practice. Okay. Okay. So we've covered two topics already. All right. Uh, I want to co cover a few more regarding Alzheimer's dementia. We've covered at length the topic of putting someone in an institution. We've covered the question of of davening. Okay. Um, and what about a few other things? So let me. Uh, go through one or two things, and uh, we'll, we'll go through as much as we can with the time that we have. We have uh, what, 23 minutes, that's fine, that's fine. There's plenty of things that we can do. All right, uh, a question that I think uh, many have. What happens regarding someone who's in the, usually, it happens in the first stages of Alzheimer's or dementia, and wants to come to Shul? But in Shul, sometimes they uh, act up, right? Um, I should say, I, I want to uh, point out here, um, that there are, there's a term, I'm not sure all of you will know it, some of you might, uh, called the brain reserve or cognitive reserve. Um, it talks about kind of like the, the um, uh, uh, sturdiness of the brain to fight back, okay, against uh, creeping dementia or Alzheimer's that's trying to take over. And that like uh, that strength, okay, that sturdiness, that stalwartness of the brain, uh, many times depends on. Oh, well, depends on several parameters according to uh, uh, the different uh, theories on this. Uh, some of them have to do with uh, social interaction and being in a in a in a normal environment and interacting with friends, etc. Having like an active, full life. So the understanding is today that. Uh, enabling someone, okay, to have that full life um, may slow the progression of Alzheimer's or dementia. They, like I said, they call it a cognitive or, or brain reserve. You can look it up. Um, either way, um, that means that to have someone in those first stages come to show, be part of the community, continue to interact, uh, may be immensely important for that individual immensely and may may uh, hold off and, and put off you know the deterioration so that that's really important to do and to enable if possible i think that even without me using fancy uh, <laughs> fancy terms uh you'd understand it common sense wise 
that it uh, it makes sense and is important for a person to be involved, uh, you know, and not to distance them from their community and their communal participation and how significant it is, you know, specifically at those ages. Therefore, we want to try and maintain them um, inside shul, okay? We want to or inside shul or in the community um, um, uh, frameworks, right? We want to we want to try and enable that to the best of our ability. So that's important. Okay, bottom line. Um, okay, but now uh, someone comes to Shul and he's uh, interrupting. He's interrupting what's going on. You know, he's uh, not, you know, sometimes he shouts out, you know, whatever. The individual is not always completely in control. Um, the question is what to do. So th there's no easy answer here. Okay, there's really no easy answer. Uh, I've spoken to several rabbis about this over the years. Um, one says what I think is pretty obvious, which is what? That the community as a community needs to be understanding and welcoming uh, and accepting, okay, towards these individuals and try and create a space for them in the shul to the best of their ability. So we need to work, <clears throat> on the one hand, on communal education, that we should be educated about the people that are coming to show, um, what's going on with them, et cetera, et cetera, and to, you know, to accommodate them. I remember once, <laughs> um, I remember once, sorry, just one second. Um, sorry, guys, one, one moment. Let me, before I, uh, I'm going to mute myself for one moment. Excuse me for a second. Sorry, um, I remember once someone. Uh, I remember once someone said to me, um, "You know that story? I think everyone knows that story about uh, Rosh Hashanah with the Baal Shem Tov. Little kid comes in, starts whistling because he doesn't know how to daven. I think everyone knows that story, right? You know, so the kid comes in, he starts whistling. Everyone like shushes him, and then the Baal Shem Tov he says, you know, ah, no, that kid's whistle is, you know, comes from the heart, and it's more important than all the words that we're saying. Right? It's a beautiful story." Right. So I once heard from a rabbi <laughs> that there's only one problem with that story. <laughs> if we were dumping in shul and some kid came in and started whistling, we'd be the shushers, right? <laughs> All of us would shush him. We'd say, you know, hey, quiet down. We're in the middle of dominating. Yeah. So that's the problem, right? Uh, the issue is is that um, that many times we're not. We 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 think you know oh it's going to be romantic it's going to be it's going to be cool we're going to allow people to come to show and you know okay and then what happens when they come what happens when they come you know so that's what I'm saying uh, when they come it's uh, it's um, it's it's incumbent upon us to make space for that of course with all that said at the end of the day decorum needs to be maintained and there will be a limit there will be a limit. There's a limit that a shul can take. And at some point, um, it's not possible anymore. You know, and, and we need to tell the individual, you know, in a nice way or whoever's caring for them, that they can't come anymore. And that's just how it is. Uh, and, of course, but we need to find that space that we can make it happen. All right, some comments before I continue. Josh writes, dementia is a system and Alzheimer's is a disease. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, Rick writes, I think it's important for these people to attention, to keep their lives as possible. Having dementia is a scary thing, 100% very, very true. 
Um, I'm going to relate to what John says in a moment. Someone else wrote to me privately. Uh, my recommendation is to be, this is a, a, a doctor. My recommendation is to be accompanied to shul or have a designated person who can escort them out if need be. Gives more cover and less disruptive. This is wonderful. And I think, you know, absolutely. We have to find the middle ground and the way that we can, uh, you know, help individuals be part of our communities, even at that stage. We really need to be sensitive to this. Like I said, it could be the difference between them deteriorating quickly or slowly. But even if it wasn't connected to that, um, just the right thing to do, you know, is to uh, afford them as much dignity as possible. And are you right to create a private minion, private minion for him? Also possible. Yes, yes. All these are, are wonderful possibilities. Uh, by the way, just as we do for someone who who just uh, who can't come to shul because of physical ailments, right? Which I think many people do. Like if someone is, you know, he can't come anymore. He used to come to shul. Now he's in a, I don't know, he's a, can't get out of bed or can't leave the house or whatever it is. I think many places they create, uh, uh, you know, situations, you know, like alternatives for those uh, sorts of situations. So why not here also? So yes, 100%. And someone, are you right here? I had to arrange for a client bipolar. Yes. Okay. Okay. 100%. Good. Good. I'm happy that that's so. And we should always try as much as we can to increase our sensitivity in our communities to those situations. Uh, John asked me here, can men with Alzheimer's or dementia be counted for a minion? Uh, the answer is, it depends on what stage they are. There are different stages here. So uh, those at the beginning stages can usually be counted for a minion. Um, but it's complicated. It will depend whether they have clear uh, insight as to what's going on, whether they have self-awareness of everything that's going on, uh, depends how advanced the situation is. Um, obviously, the more advanced it becomes, the more problematic it becomes. And there could also be situations of what's called itim chalim, itim which you spoke about, when he's sometimes like this and sometimes like that. You know, in that situation, we would say when he's okay, he's okay, and when not, no. So that's another good question, and, and that's the answer to that question. Uh, but it, we would really need a kind of a, a, a consult between... Like the rabbi, we need to consult the therapist or whoever's caring for the individual to understand, you know, what their what exactly their mindset is at this point. It's hard to define in clear terms. Bottom line. Okay. Okay. Moving on. Um, I, I have a small psak over here um, about someone who uh, a kohen who's suffering from. Uh, you know, Alzheimer's, for example, and he forgets to take off his shoes. So, all depends, right? We have like a, if you're asking me whether the shoes thing is like, you know, the most important thing in the world, no, not the end of the world if a Cohen walks up with his shoes, okay? Um, but nevertheless, uh, depends, maybe, right? Depends on, once again, depends on what state the individual is in. It could be that later on he'll realize that he went up with his shoes, and he'll be even more embarrassed than if you just quickly told him, take off your shoes, take off your shoes, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It really depends on the situation. Halachically speaking, <coughs> like I said, it is not that I cannot find a way, halachically, to say that him going up with his shoes is, uh, is, not, is, is okay. It's okay, but the Eved shouldn't go up with his shoes, but the Eved, it's fine. However, one should try to make a quick assessment about what's best to uh, tell him and risk the possibility of embarrassment at that very moment, but to avoid embarrassment later on, or uh, just not to tell and to let things play out. 
uh, if someone is, if it's known that he comes and, you know, this already happened several times, um, sometimes there's like a bima area, like that you go up, and then there's like people who stand like on the ground. It's better to stand on the ground in that situation. So if the person is standing on the ground, it's really much less of an issue. Anyway, all right, I'm just saying uh, that's a really small stock, but okay, it's uh, just uh, pointing it out. Um, I saw a question in one place regarding someone suffering from uh, Alzheimer's or dementia or whatever, um, that uh, what happens if they keep on making brachas, okay, again and again and again, meaning let's say they took something to eat, they made a bracha on it, they forgot that they made a bracha on it, so they make another bracha. So I saw Shaila about whether someone listening to that should say amen, yes or no meaning again and again and again and again, or is there a problem to say amen again and again and again? And it's a machlok at poskim. I saw many different opinions um, on this. Uh, Rabbi Tzak Zilberstein, who's a big posik in the Haredi world, uh, said there's no problem saying amen and amen again and again and again. Um, and I heard this from two other poskim as well. On the other hand, uh, Rav Karelitz, Rav Nissen Karelitz, who's also another big posik in the Haredi world, said no. Um, for no reason whatsoever. Okay? And I heard this also from Rav Schechter in America, uh, and a few rabbis here in Israel. Uh, so it's different. I also spoke to uh, Mordechai Willig in America, and he said it depends what the doctors say. So now, did the doctors say that the right thing to do, um, the proper thing to do, you know, is to kind of like uh, say amen, meaning for his mental state, to say amen? Then do so, and if not, then don't don't say amen. Don't say amen if it's not helpful. But if the doctors say no, it's important that you continue to you know. Otherwise, he'll be embarrassed. Or he'll he'll feel bad. All this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then you know, then uh, once you say amen, according to what the doctors feel is best for his mental state. Are you right? Couldn't it be the individual had hepsek hadas between each bracha, therefore needing to make a new one? Uh, I think it's something that anyone sitting next to the individual for long enough will be able to identify. So maybe you're right. right? But I, I, just, I don't know the answer. But I think that it's something that anyone who spends time with the individual will be able uh, to work out one way or another. Okay, next. Um, I was asked, and I was asked, I saw a significant discussion um, about uh, Yom Kippur. Okay? I'm sure that some of you have encountered this. I have not. Once again, I'm just reading the uh, the texts and, and, and the literature on it. But I'm sure that some of you have also had to deal with this to some extent. What happens to someone who can't remember that it's Yom Kippur? Okay? So they want to eat. And you know that if you tell them that it's Yom Kippur, and they understand it, that they will not want to eat. Right? They would be horrified at the idea that they would eat on Yom Kippur. Uh, um, and uh, you wouldn't want that. Right? So, and they won't want that. So their question is, should you refrain from uh, giving them food, even if they ask, right? So they're saying, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to prevent them from eating, right? They say, give me some food or give me some drink. They'll say, I'm not giving you. It's Yom Kippur. Say, it's not Yom Kippur. It is Yom Kippur, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not, it's not you know, what's going what's gonna to happen in that situation, right? Uh, yes or no. Do you give them? Do you not give them? Uh, how to react uh, in that scenario. So, it really depends, once again, on, on a few things. First of all, uh, if the individual in question 
is um, at the first stages, okay, that he's not a shote. But he's just forgotten temporarily, but he's not a shote. He's not a shote. He's still obligated to Yom Kippur. That's very different than someone who is in the advanced stages and is no longer obligated, okay? So even when he's no longer obligated, it might be a problem to feed him directly, but to put food in front of him uh, might not be so bad, okay? And then he can decide to eat or not because he's a shot, he's, he has a status of a shote, and he's exempt from the mitzvah, he's exempt from Yom Kippur, so he wouldn't be obligated necessarily uh, to keep the day, right? So even though, once again, if he can, maybe he should, and we shouldn't, you know, be giving him what to, okay? But if a person has reached a more advanced stage, uh, the, the issue is less fraught. Okay? Once again, I'm not saying there isn't machloka, there are disagreements about it, but it's less fraught. If a person is, like I said, at the beginning stages, and the assumption is that if he knew, he of course he wants to fast, then um, there's more to discuss over here. The, the challenge is, the challenge is, um, that refraining from giving food to a person who wants food, right, uh, is is problematic to do, right? What if he really needs it? Meaning, how do you know? Maybe he's just feeling bad. He is an elderly individual usually, right? So this elderly individual who might anyway be a little bit frail or whatever, you know, is asking you for food or drink. Now, it's true that, uh, you know, he may not realize that it's Yom Kippur, but still, Right. So it's it's complicated to say for sure you shouldn't give the person to eat once again because you think that's what he would want. That's the reason that you would that you would say that in the first place, just because that's what he would want. But nevertheless, to say that you wouldn't give the individual what to eat is definitely not a simple uh, determination. Um, so all I'm saying is that you really need to assess and evaluate the situation for what it is. The best thing, of course, is to try and um, um, make sure that he realizes what's going on, he, she, whatever, that it's Yom Kippur, and that they would want to fast. Um, otherwise, of course, you don't have to bodily stop them, meaning if they're going to the kitchen and getting food, then that's okay, and they're doing what they're doing. You have, you're, you have no obligation to go and, and, and stop them physically. Uh, from doing whatever it is there. to help them eat, be more problematic in that scenario. Um, <clears throat> anyway, like I said, all this is the beginning stages, later stages. I wouldn't make such a big deal out of it, um, and um, and yeah, I think that's that's clear. Uh, using a non-Jew, of course, for all this would be also preferable. Okay, I have five more minutes, so just um, one or two more things okay uh here's an interesting one which i think maybe you'll 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 find uh interesting uh mechila asking for mechila so i once saw tshuva uh also by rabbi zilberstein i think it was um oh no it was by revel yashi sorry revel yashi so i asked him whether he can ask mechila for some kipper or kipper for someone that is now suffering from alzheimer's and doesn't remember, you know, what's going on. So the person you know, has a status of a shot. Can you ask Mechila from such a person? Yes or no? Well, Yashi uh, Paskin, that you cannot. That the only thing you can do is you can wait till the person passes, then you can go to their grave, and you can ask Mechila on the grave, as is customary for someone who you didn't succeed in asking Mechila before they passed. That you could not do it 
uh, when they're still alive, um, when they're still alive, uh, and they just can't completely grasp uh, what it is that um, that you're saying or that you're trying to do. Anyway, that's a, that's an interesting one. Um, what else can I share with you? I mean, there's a few things. I just want to make sure to choose the right one. Mm. All right, let me share one last thing with you about uh, something we just went through. Uh, oh, actually, no, here's, here's a good one. I'll do this one. Uh, sometimes this doesn't have to do only with mental health. This also has to do with physical health, but it also many times has to do with this. Someone who's suffering, once again, uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, that sort of thing, um, and needs help. So maybe you've decided that, that they'll continue living in their home, but they'll have someone to help them in that house. So you'll have someone like a, you know, a, a caregiver, right, uh, to come and help. What about problems of yichud? Many times I say if it's an elderly man, right, uh, if it's your father who's uh, who's uh, unwell, um, and the person you're finding to help many times, not always, many times, is a woman. Of course, it could be the opposite as well, uh, that a mother is sick and a man is helping. But what about yichud? Is there a problem of yichud or not? Uh, the truth is, when I asked the post game about this, I got very different answers from different individuals. Okay? Uh, what are the svaras to be makeup? So one option is, that the elderly uh, individual is probably in no place uh, to engage in any sexual activity anyway, uh, number one. Number two, um, another svara that uh, the caregivers will not engage in such activity because they'll lose their, their parnata, they'll lose their, their, um, uh, their main uh, uh, line of work. So therefore, they wouldn't do that, okay? Uh, you might say that if, if there's a chance that someone will come to visit uh, during the time that the caregiver is there, you know, if there's a, a relative or a neighbor, you know, could come to visit at unclear hours, so then there's no yichud because there's what's called mirtete, they're worried that someone will come over and see them. So once again, uh, that's, uh, I, I heard from Rav uh, Schechter, I think it was, he said that such individuals cannot be left alone anyway. That there's a suffix sakana, there's a worry that they might hurt themselves if they're left alone. So therefore, uh, the caregiver being with them is like a case of pikoach nefesh. And, um, and there's no uh, um, uh, worry over there in terms of the laws of yichud. Now obviously, if you can find someone from the same gender, that's, uh, that's of course best, but you can't always do that. It's not always possible. Um, and so, um, uh, that's, uh, that's that. Um, okay, I think that that's enough for today. Um, I, there are a few other things, but I think we spoke about uh, most of them. See, someone wrote to me. Uh, let's see, let's see what people wrote to me. Mm, there are so many reports about sexual abuse of patients in care facilities. That's terrible. I did not know that there were so many. Um, but that, okay, that highlights the, uh, the need for, for care for Yichud. Okay. Someone else wrote to me privately at a neighbor with Alzheimer's was non-Jewish helper. And I once saw her feeding her dairy right after eat. Right, okay, okay. So we see the problems, we see the problems. Um, obviously these, some of the, a lot of the caregivers are like lifesavers and, you know, uh, we, but uh, they need to also, we need to be clear about what they're doing and they need to be clear about what they're doing uh, when they're treating 
uh, our parents. Um, and uh, yeah. Okay, I think that's it for today. It's already seven o'clock. Um, I apologize again for being a little bit late. I wish you uh, good luck. Next week, I looked at my schedule, and we are destined to speak about post-traumatic stress disorder. So join me next week. We'll talk about stuff to do with PTSD. And uh, have a good week, and I'll see you next week. Bye.